especially after the last year, it is so good to see all of you here this morning. The scripture reading for this today is Psalm 62. I will be reading it in German. The English is on the screen. Nur bei Gott komme ich zur Ruhe. Geduldig warte ich auf seine Hilfe. Nur er ist ein schützender Fels und eine sichere Burg. Er steht mir bei und niemand kann mich zu Fall bringen. Wie lange noch wollte ich euch alle über einen hermachen und ihm den letzten Stoß versetzen, wie einer Wand, die sich schon bedrohlich nicht oder der, eine Mauer, die bereits einstürzt. Ja, sie unternehmen alles, um meinen guten Namen in den Dreck zu ziehen. Es macht ihnen Freude, Lügen über mich zu verbreiten. Wenn sie mit mir reden, sprechen sie Segenwünsche aus. Doch im Herzen verfluchen sie mich. Nur bei Gott komme ich zur Ruhe. Er allein gibt mir Hoffnung. Nur er ist ein schützender Fels und eine sichere Burg. Er steht mir bei und niemand kann mich zur Fall bringen. Gott rettet mich. Er steht für meine Ehre ein. Er schützt mich wie ein starker Fels. Bei ihm bin ich geborgen. Ihr Menschen vertraut ihm jederzeit und schüttet euer Herz bei ihm aus. Gott ist unsere Zuflucht. Die Menschen vergehen wie ein Hauch, ob ein Fach oder vornehm, sie sind wie ein Trugbild, das verschwindet. Legt man sie auf die Waageschale, dann schnellt sie nach oben, als wären die Menschen nur Luft. Verlasst euch nicht auf erpresstes Gut, lasst euch nicht blenden von Unrecht, erworbenen Reichtum, wenn euer Wohlstand wächst, dann hängt euer Herz nicht daran. Mehr als einmal habe ich gehört, wie Gott gesagt hat, ich allein habe alle Macht. Du, Herr, bist ein gnädiger Gott. Du vergilst jedem, wie er es verdient. This is God's word. Please be seated. Good morning, church. My name is Brian. If I've never met you before, I am the pastor here at Trinity City Church. Welcome to our gathering, our Sunday gathering. Uh, if you're new or maybe tuning in and you've never caught that we sometimes do the scripture reading in a different language, the reason behind that is a way to celebrate the global reality of our faith. This is a faith that uh, calls people from every tongue, tribe, and nation to come worship Jesus, and it's a small way in our liturgy that we draw attention to that fact. So that's what uh, we are doing and our intention behind that. Uh, some opening um, 
announcements, remarks here before I pray and we get into Psalm 62. The first one, uh, be in prayer then, uh, this week and especially the next couple of weeks. We have a bunch of kids going to Camp Shamanah uh, over the next couple of weeks. This is a summer camp that many of the Trinity kids go to, uh, to be out in the woods in central Minnesota for a little bit with some camp counselors focusing on Jesus, focusing on fun. Uh, so be praying for them. We also have a bunch of fellas, some brothers that are going to the Boundary Waters canoe area this week. Uh, be praying for them as well as I understand it, there's some folks that are going and this is the first time ever doing something like this, so you can pray for their safety to come back with uh, a whole lot of Jesus and no Lyme's disease. Uh, so that will be, be the prayer request on that front. So be praying for that. We have a lot of folks from our church going into the woods over the next couple weeks. Again, this summer we are going through uh, another chunk of psalms. We do 10 psalms each summer, so we're going through the 60s, so that's the sermon series you find yourself in the midst of. One last thing before I pray, this service will be a little bit different for those that are streaming online. We uh, have been streaming since the beginning of the service, but after the sermon wraps up, the live stream portion of this Sunday gathering will be wrapped up, but we will continue to do the Liturgy of the Table here live, and I'll set up uh, how we're going to do it a bit differently this week as well. So if you're at home, uh, you will be wrapping up this service right at the end of the sermon, but if you uh, are still uh, streaming in at home and you want to take communion, we would love to bring communion to you. A church leader would love to bring uh, communion through home visit, and we'll do it that way as we switch now to communion, again, being exclusively in person. All right, let's pray and get into the text. Lord God, our rock and fortress, help us not to lean on the things that will topple over. Help us not to rely on status or put our heart in wealth. Life is so short and the things of this world are so unsteady. Help us not to listen to the loud chatter of this world, but rather listen to what you have spoken. May we find rest in your power and unfailing love, which you displayed so vividly in your Son, Jesus Christ. So now, with the help of your Holy Spirit, we turn to your word and we listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, many of you know this, I was on a long vacation, and uh, some of you might be wondering, what did I do? A common question I, I get is that question, what did you do, and did you get some rest taking such a long vacation? Well, here's what I did. I did a week in Orlando. The purpose of that uh, trip was to focus more on family and a family vacation. Soon after that, I did about a week in the mountains of Colorado with my wife, with other pastors and church leaders. There was a pastor wives retreat that we participated in. And then uh, this last weekend, spent some time, as we usually do with some family, over the 4th of July weekend. Second question, was it restful? Well, it depends on which part you're talking about. If you're talking about the first part in Orlando, not so much. That first trip in Orlando wasn't so much for me, but more for my kids. I was thinking about the year that they've had, uh, going all the way back to the academic calendar of 2019 to 2020. They started off that fall learning about their dad's cancer diagnosis, and then like into 2020, their school just shuts down, and then they're doing online learning for a year. So they've, they've had it rough, just like the adults have had it rough, so we wanted to do something for them, and um, I had to 
be talked into this because this trip was going to be, include um, the price tag of Disney. And uh, I'm, I'm a little bit more on the saving side of, of how I like to deal with money, so I had to talk to some other Disney dads who have a similar disposition towards their uh, budget as I do to try to talk me into this. Talk to some other uh, parents uh, that have had to do things like this before, and they said, go for it. And even I was reminded of myself when I was a teenager, uh, my, my parents didn't travel a ton, but we had this one epic trip that we did. My parents and my extended family went on this uh, golf cruise, and I remember it to this day, how special it was. And how the thing that I loved about that cruise, by the way, was I was a teenage boy that was on this cruise that had unlimited amounts of eating. Uh, you just could eat, because uh, it was all like prepaid for, and you just, you just it, was, it, was, uh, it, was, it was so awesome. I wish I could go back to just that metabolism to be able to experience that again. Uh, so I, we decided to go for it. We went, we went on this trip, it included Disney, and Universal in the same trip. We had a small break in between where I visited my family and I visited a pastor friend that we know that lives on the coast and did a couple beach days to recover. But if you're talking about Disney itself, my friend from Orlando, or from Florida rather, warned me that it is the most magical place on earth. Sure, but it's exhausting. It is a very exhausting experience. The things that you would love about Disney, you would expect to love, and we did. We loved the rides, we loved the resorts, the shows, all that stuff was amazing. But I, I remember uh, wrapping up the trip and then um, just trying to commiserate a little bit about the experience by listening to Jim Gaffigan. He's a comedian that also rips on uh, the Disney experience, and he just captures so well what I went through and what my wife went through as well. So he says, like, if you've never been to Disney before, the way to picture it is just imagine standing in line at the DMV, and that's it. <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> Actually, to add to it, it's more like standing in line, but you're standing on the surface of the sun. That's more like it's like, because we went during the summer and it was blazing hot. It was blazing hot here while we were, we were, while we were there. It was the 90s and high humidity. But the, the intensity of the sun in Florida is just next level stuff for my tender Scandinavian skin. <laughs> you could barely see me. I just looked like a pile of sunscreen when I was there. Gaffigan also rips on the reality that if you ever had a memory uh, growing up of going on vacation and your parents are in a bad mood and you can never understand why, just take them to Disney and then you'll get it. This is how parents answer the question, how can I uh, spend an enormous amount of money, be uncomfortable, and listen to your kids whine? Go to Disney. That's how you experience all those things, right? So that part of the trip, I wouldn't say, was restful. It was memorable, it was amazing, it was epic. Uh, I think Jim Gaffigan captures the struggles of it really well. And now that we're several weeks out of this experience, my family is already talking about going back, which uh, I'm not ready for that, especially, I mean, if we're going back, it's like during January, uh, and uh, that, that would be the only shot of it. I think as things come back to normal, many of us are doing these sort of plans, right? We, we are sensing that things are slowly returning to normal, and we want to start planning things that we couldn't do last year. 
And this was a very special thing. I'm so glad that we planned this trip. And the other thing I find myself intentionally thinking about too as things start to go back to normal is how to find more and more rest, rest for me and my family and my kids in the Lord because so much of life has been restless and some of our plans might not contribute to more restful times in the Lord. And this psalm is a reminder to me as I continue to make plans of recharging and fun and epic memories this summer that I don't want to lose sight of where my soul finds rest and how much intentional planning that ought to take for us this summer as well. Psalm 62 opens, truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. That deserves a priority. That deserves a reminder. That is what we need to plan for this summer as well because we've had such a restless experience. Make some epic trips, saints. Get out into our parks and music festivals and traveling and friends and backyard parties and do all that stuff and be eternally committed because of the gravity of God and who he is to finding rest in him intentionally this summer as well. And all this sermon is going to do is not so much tell you how to do that, but try to convince you why that continues to be a priority in our lives. Let's look at verses 3 through 4. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down? This leaning wall, this tottering fence. Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies, with their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. David's writing the psalm and he's reflecting on these enemies that are trying to take him out. And they are also talking trash about David as well, but not to his face. To his face, they're blessing him. They're saying nice things to him. But in their hearts, they curse and assault him. This is deceptive. They're lying to his face with their praise because that's not where their heart is. They're just flattering him. In fact, they delight in lies rather than the truth, the text says. Many of you, uh, of course, are from, uh, not from Minnesota, and you've commented to me over the years on uh, the closest example of this is Minnesota Nice. It's always a funny thing to poke holes at and to draw attention to. But that's one of the ways that something like this may have been experienced from uh, some of you in the congregation. And Minnesota Nice, if you're not familiar with it, is one of those things where, again, uh, nice things are said about you, but if there is criticisms about your friendship, about your work, that's best to be said behind your back to other people. So you could have like a coworker, and he's just saying, oh, it's good to see you, Bob. You're doing well. How, how's the new job going? Oh, that's great, that's great, and just praising you and glad that you had your job. But then he sees a buddy, and behind your back says, that Bob, he's a real piece of work, oofta. I don't see him lasting very long in that job, right? Now, if you're from the East Coast, you just say that sort of thing to somebody's face, but not in Minnesota. We're, we got the passive-aggressive behind-the-back thing going on. Now, that's a fun cultural way of thinking about something like this that David is experiencing, but have you ever really straight up had a friend of yours 
that said something behind your back and it just wrecked you because you thought you were friends, you're on the same page, and then you hear through the grapevine, no, that's not how that person feels about you. It's deceptive and it rattles us. One of the things the text is reminding us about with folks that talk outside of both sides of their mouth is how unreliable such a relationship is. It's like a wall that's about to topple down or a fence that's about to be pushed over by the wind. Why would you lean on such a relationship? And then the text directs us again as a reminder of where we need to put our trust. Verses 5 through 8, Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. This is the second time they repeated those phrases. Did you notice that? My soul, find rest in God. Your hope Your hope comes from him, your salvation. Everything comes from this rock and this fortress. It's always good, saints, to come back to the things we know to be true. So I'm saying something so obvious of planning to find rest in God this summer. It's obvious, but our hearts need that reminder. Come back to it, brothers and sisters. Come back to what you know to be true. Your restless heart this summer needs rest in God, and we need to plan on doing that intentionally as we are unpacking our summers. You're not going to find your salvation in any other source. If you are restless, find your rest in God. Are you insecure? Find your security and your safety in God. If you're feeling shaken right now, you find your comfort in God. You're not going to find it in the flattering words of deceptive friends. You're not going to find it in the strength of yourself to pull yourself into a state of rest. You're going to find it in God and God alone. That's where you're going to find it. Notice when we are to have this trust. The text says in verse 8, trust him at all times. At all times is when this trust is supposed to take place, in bad times and good times. It's supposed to take place whether there's a pandemic or there's prosperity whether there is disease or health, whether we're meeting in person in a physical structure or for gathering online in our homes, we find our rest and our trust in God no matter the season and no matter the time. And I love this phrase that Scripture often uses to talk about prayer. In those times, whether they're good or bad, you're trusting in the Lord, we are to pour our hearts out to Him. What a vivid way to describe a prayer life, finding rest before the Lord. Just think of like a child coming over to your house and taking like your bin of toys and just dumping them all on the ground, right? That's what image came to my head because like whatever you have in your heart, the, the, the life of prayer is just you right before the Lord. And it all comes out, the good, the bad, the ugly, the things you're hiding from other human relationships, you just put it out there because God already knows what's in that bin of your heart. You're to ask to pour it out before the Lord in prayer. We are to find our rest and our trust and our salvation and our security and our safety in the Lord, not in these alternatives that are detailed in verses 9 through 10. Surely the lowborn 
are but a breath, and the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. The language of low-born uh, low and high-born, it's odd. It's probably the equivalent of uh, blue-collar and white-collar. If you're blue-collar, you're but a breath. If you're white-collar, you're but a lie. In other words, it doesn't matter what your social economic status is. Life is short, and we are not to rely on our status of, of, that society gives us to, be, to have rest and to have salvation. We also don't put our trust in wealth, and it even details wealth that's gained from unjust ways, but also just wealth that is gained because maybe you work hard or you came from a certain family or whatever, that it wasn't evil is the reason that you're wealthy, but you just are. In either case, the psalm exhorts us, do not put your trust in these things. These are just two examples. We put our trust, we often as human beings put our trust, our hope, our hearts in the things of this world rather than the Lord, and that is what the psalm is vividly calling our attention to. It's not wealth, it's not your status, it's not uh, what you're born into that you're supposed to hang your hat on in any regard, but the Lord and the Lord alone is to be your stronghold, your rock, where you find your rest. Instead of putting our trust in these things, we put our trust in God's word, verses 11 through 12. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And you reward everyone according to what they have done. This phrase is odd. One thing God has spoken, two things I heard. It could mean a couple of different things. It could mean that God communicates something and both elements of what he has communicated are true, or God has said something and it keeps rattling around in your brain. Uh, both ways of understanding that verse, I think, work. It's, the point is that you're trusting in what God has to say and you're coming back to it again and again and again. And what does the psalmist hear from the Lord? He hears God has unfailing love, and God is powerful, and the Lord rewards everyone according to what they have done. First, the focus is on the power and love of God. That's where the psalmist begins. And then there's this weird phrase, what they have done. And to really be able to capture what uh, is going on there and the perspective that the psalmist wants to give, I want to turn and close in the Gospel of Matthew because this is the phrase that the Lord Jesus picks up in that gospel. We're going to look at chapter 16 in the Gospel of Matthew. Let me set up the, the verses I'm about to read. At this point in the gospel, Jesus is pivoting his journey with his disciples towards Jerusalem. And he's going there because the purposes of his father is leading him there for his death and resurrection. And Jesus knows it, and he's willfully going there uh, because he is committed to his father's purposes. So that's where he's going. And he's starting to tell his disciples about it, preparing them for it, and they don't like it. He's telling them what's going to happen in Jerusalem. And it's not that he's going to be crowned as this political king over an earthly kingdom. He is going to suffer and die and raise from the dead. And when he starts revealing this to his disciples, they respond negatively to it. They don't like the news. 
Peter is the first one in this story. He pulls Jesus to the side because he's got something to say. I don't know if anybody's ever done this to you before, if you found yourself like leading a canoe trip or uh, being a camp counselor, a shift supervisor at your job, and then a coworker or somebody on your team pulls you aside. They're pulling you aside because, hey, I respect your leadership, but I gotta let you know something, right? You're a little off on this one, and that's what Peter does. Pulls Jesus to the side and says, may it never be so. Not with you, Lord. You are not going to Jerusalem to die. And Jesus responds this way, get behind me, Satan. It's a shocking thing to say. And he says, get behind me, Satan, because essentially he says to Peter, your cares of this situation are not the cares of God, but the cares of this world. He doesn't literally think that Peter is Satan, but he's saying that Peter is reflecting the attitude and embodying the temptation of Satan. That's what it's like hearing those words come out of Peter's mouth. And it's at this point in the story that Jesus teaches this. Verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life from me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is coming, is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Notice that phrase again. That's the same one that's used in the psalm before us. He will reward each person in that day according to what they have done. So this is what Jesus is doing. He's preparing his disciples for the reality of following him. It requires denial of self and taking up your cross, something that is an extreme and difficult teaching in an individualistic society where the focus is on self and our own comforts. He's saying, you want to save your life? Then give it up. Give it up by giving it to me, and you will gain eternal life. He asked the question, is there anything worth more than your soul, more than your salvation? If you gained the whole world in exchange for your soul, would it be worth it? And that's big, broad, and, and, and grand to think about the question that way, but to even get specific, if you were guaranteed perfect health your whole life, would you forfeit your soul for it? If you were guaranteed that you would always have money in your bank account, would you forfeit your soul for that life? If you were guaranteed the best job, the most fulfilling, rewarding, well-paying job, but you have to forfeit your soul, would it be worth it? If you could be promised the perfect, epic summer adventures after a pandemic, but you have to forfeit your soul, would it be worth it? And the obvious answers for those of us that have a faith in Christ is no. You would never give up your soul for those things. You would never give up eternity for those things. And that's precisely the point that Jesus is making because there's so many things in our life, especially the year that we've had, that is going to distract us from the main thing. And I don't want us to forget about our souls. The reality is that Jesus never guaranteed this comfortable life. Last year was a great reminder of it. And there will be other years, maybe not exactly like it, but other years that are tough. But the text of the psalm says what? To trust in the Lord at all times. All times. 
Whether it's a summer full of epic adventures or you had to stay at home because there was a pandemic raging through your neighborhood. Either way, you trust in the Lord and you remember the most precious thing you have is rest in Christ because he has saved your soul from judgment. He has rescued you from your own sins. The one who trusts in the power and unfailing love of God will be transformed. And that transformation bears fruit, fruit that is acknowledged by our Lord on the day of judgment, and fruit that is a evidence that we have indeed put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When the text says that we will be rewarded according to what we have done in that day, it's not talking about that our works have saved us. Faith is the instrument that saves us when we place it in Christ, and the works is just the evidence of it. So what do you do on that day, and how should you be preparing your soul right now for that day? There's a preacher named Alistair Begg, and he has this um, way of setting up this day of what are you going to say, right? What are you going to say on that day when you're before the Lord and he is assessing your life? Why should you be invited into his eternal rest? And Pastor Alistair Begg says, if you answer that question in the first person, you've immediately gone wrong. Because I went to church, because I have theological knowledge, because I voted for the right political party, because I listened to the right podcast, because I had the right friends, because I worked hard to love my neighbor. Any answer that starts with the first person in that day, you've gone immediately wrong. The only proper answer in that day is in the third person, because he, and you point to the cross, because he, and you point to the resurrected Son of God, because Jesus called me to take up my cross, because he asked me to follow him, and this is where I'm at, because he offered me salvation for my soul that's more precious than anything this world could afford me, because he did that, that's why I'm here. And the transformational fruit that is bared because of that belief will be rewarded. Jesus is inviting you, brothers and sisters, into this rest this summer. And it is the reward that you will get forever and ever and ever in his presence. Let's continue to preach to our souls this summer to remember to find rest in God alone. Our salvation comes from him.